Today on Basic, professional wrestling legend Chris Jericho. You know, I was kind of the proverbial baby face. The girls would be screaming and the guys would think you're cool. At this point in time, I was like, ah, this guy's, you know, ah, he, he, he's too squeaky clean, you know what I mean, or whatever. So you're kind of a little bit miscast. So I was like, I got to turn heel. That's what we call it. You got to be a bad guy. And I always say for wrestling, it's a lot easier to make people hate you than it is to make them like you. But once they start really hating you, that's when they start to really like you. And if you look at the greatest villains of all time, not in wrestling, but in pop culture, Darth Vader, Freddy Krueger, Hannibal Lecter, the Joker, all of these guys, the Terminator, they start out as super evil, but by the second or third movie, they're always the good guys. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Basic, the official podcast of the unofficial history of cable television. And to my right, hailing from Rockville, Maryland, writing for Vulture in New York Magazine. She's a writer, not a fighter. It's the deadline diva herself, jaw-breaking Jen Cheney. And in the other corner, hailing from Los Angeles, California, the world's capital of pencil-necked geeks, it's the former TV executive best known for his signature move, The Interruption. He put the odd in podcast. It's Doug. Is my mic on? Herzog. So, Jen, I know how excited you are to step into the squared circle today and talk wrestling. Doug, I will try to keep my emotions in check. No, but actually, I, I am kind of excited about this because you can't talk about the history of cable television without talking about wrestling. That's true, Jen, and you can't talk about wrestling, particularly in the 2000s and beyond, without talking about our guest today, Chris Jericho, uh, who is one of the greats of all time. Jericho is a legendary wrestler who's widely acknowledged as one of the all-time greats. He's had an amazing career holding innumerable titles in both the WCW and the WWE. He also was the inaugural champion of the Upstart All Elite Wrestling Outfit on TNT. Within the context of cable television, wrestling goes back to the medium's earliest days in the 80s. It was a staple of Ted Turner's WTBS Superstation and the USA Network with Vince McMahon's WWE. Later on in the 90s, the two networks engaged in what became known as the Monday Night Wrestling Wars. It was an epic, years-long, head-to-head weekly battle that saw both shows dominate the top of the cable ratings charts. Wrestling's power continued to be felt long after, and Jericho, also known as the Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla, played a major role in it all. So let's get into our conversation with Chris Jericho, then join Doug and me post-match as we go two out of three falls and break it all down. Welcome, wrestling legend, king of the squared circle, Chris Jericho, to the Basic Podcast. We're going to start off with a question we always do with each guest, which is, do you remember when you first saw cable television? Yeah, I mean, so I'm a child of the 80s, so I'm 52 right now. So you're looking back at those days when you still had TVs that had like three channels that you would... So cable kind of came in the first thing i can remember was it was called first choice super channel there was one called first choice one was called super channel i grew up in canada winnipeg canada ah i was gonna say i didn't didn't recognize those i'm like what's he talking about (laughs) (laughs) there you go so you're learning a little bit already yeah yeah okay yeah but that was kind of um the first kind of pay-per-view almost like an hbo very very primitive and i just remember they showed chariots of fire like over oh. and over that was the time of year that it was the time of time of uh, you know the decade that it was so that's kind of when i first remember kind of this pay tv was what it was right. called which is kind of the initial version of cable from from what i can recall 
Do you remember uh, Much Music? Was that absolutely yeah? So yeah, we never had MTV. Right. We had we had Much Music, and that's when when that finally came in, and, and cable also too was like only rich people had it. Like, mm-hmm. let's go over to our friend's house. He's got Much Music. Oh, you got Much Music? Hey, mom, can we get Much Music? No, we're not paying for we're not paying for TV. So um, <laughs> if you had that, it was kind of really cool to be able to go. And obviously, that was the decade, the advent of music videos. And then it all kind of started from there, like you mentioned. Related question. Do you remember the first time you saw like wrestling or do you remember watching wrestling, you know, when you were young? Yeah. So there used to be, if you want to talk to kind of television, I, I called it like the, the pop culture triumphant for me. It was Saturday afternoon into evening and five o'clock was the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner hour. <laughs> Six o'clock was AWA wrestling, which came out of Minneapolis. Ver- Vern Gagne. With Vern Gagne, exactly. The great Vern Gagne, yeah, sure. Yeah, and then seven o'clock was Hockey Night in Canada. So that was kind of the big night for me as 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 a, as a younger kid. And I used to watch wrestling with my grandma. She passed away in I think seventy eight, so I was seven or eight years old. So I can remember watching with her. So I was probably really really young, and I used to really love uh, Jesse the Body Ventura because of his voice. He used to wear a jewel. And his, he had a little like a dimpled chin, but my grandma hated him because he was the bad guy. And so I never told my grandma that I liked Jesse the body because I didn't want to want her to get mad at me, but I thought he was great. And that's kind of, <laughs> I remember all that stuff kind of really formulating in my head at that time. Well, two things the, 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 that, that triumvirate is like three things of just uh, things running into each other. Yeah, hockey wrestling <laughs> and roadrunner. That's right. <laughs> Good call. But uh, so there's, a, there's a there's a theme there. And so because you're in Canada and didn't see MTV, so did you miss like the whole like MTV rock and wrestling, Cindy Lauper, Hulk Hogan, uh, Mr. T era? Well, so yes, in a way, but there was also a cartoon called Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Oh, that's right. So they mm-hmm. so I saw the cartoon. Right. Forgot about that. Because I was in high school and wrestling became a real big thing. So I think the first WrestleMania was in 85. Ish, 85, 86. Yeah, probably around there. Yeah. 85, yeah. So WrestleMania 2 was 86. WrestleMania 3 was 87. So that's kind of when I started. I, I was all caught up in Hulkamania, uh, you know, the, the whole WWF phenomenon because with AWA, they would come to Winnipeg every month because, um, like I said, it was based out of Minneapolis, but Winnipeg is obviously very close. So they would come every month. And then one month, it wasn't AWA. It was just WWF. And it's like, well, what happened to AWA? Where'd it go? Because Vince had, had bought the rights to the building and brought his guys in. And that's kind of when the whole WWF thing started, which was huge. You know, I think at that point, more everybody had cable, but there was, there was wrestling all over cable at that point in time. And not just... Uh, WWF, there was Calgary Stampede, or Stampede Wrestling out of Calgary. There was WFWA Wrestling out of Winnipeg. And then Tur- Turner had their own thing, pre-WCW, the Georgia. Turner did, but we never got Turner. Like, I never saw NWA is what it was called. Right. Because we never got that up up, up in Canada. So I never saw, like, Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes and those guys. I would read about them in the magazines, but I never really got to see them because yeah. their TV didn't get up to Winnipeg. And it was also really funny. The local promoter in Winnipeg also somehow made a deal to get the tapes from this company called UWF, which was basically based in like Louisiana. So we had all of this really cool wrestling from like Louisiana and, and, and Tennessee and that sort of thing. And it's like, why? The old regional operations were really fun to watch. Regional, yeah. yeah. And why in the hell did, you know, Arkansas, Mississippi wrestling end up in Winnipeg, Canada? I have no <laughs> idea, but we got to see that. So that, that was, you know, so then there was a company from Montreal. So there was a lot of wrestling coming around, but not NWA, which was really huge in the States, but they never got television in Canada. 
Got it. Or at least in Winnipeg. So, I mean, as a young fan, like absorbing all of this, did you think like, hey, I'd like to be a wrestler too, or did that not enter your mind until later? No, no, no. Yeah. When I was a kid, I wanted to be in a rock band and I wanted to be a wrestler. Those are kind of the two things I was really, really influenced by and really into. And and just as much talking about wrestling, like we mentioned music videos, like there were so many mu- music video shows, even if you didn't have much music, which we finally eventually got it. Cause like I said, everybody got cable at a certain point, the cable box that would come, but there was all, all local video shows. And also too, what we had was public access TV in Winnipeg. It was called uh, VPW. So this was like the channel, like the main channels would be Channel 2, CBC, Channel 5, CTV, Channel 12, a CKND, and then 13 would be like this kind of offshoot, weird, like pirate radio type channel that would have all of these wacky shows because anybody can get a show on public access television. Mm -hmm. So you would have video shows and you would have like, I remember one of the shows literally was called Math for Hindus. (laughs) <laughs> and the, the Hindu guy was teaching you how to do math. And I'm like, why? I guess he decided he wanted to have his own show, Math for Hindus. So um, we had that influence as well, which was just this is, Canada is kind of a wacky place. And the humor that was there is very British influenced. So we got a lot of that as well. It kind of, it was kind of a real kind of potpourri as a kid to get all of this weird influence from all these different places because you watched basically what was on TV. You didn't really have a choice. It wasn't like today where there's 500 channels. No internet. Exactly. You had four channels. Then if you were lucky to and get, you watch what was on, you watch what was on. And if you're lucky to get cable, then suddenly you had 30 channels, but then they yeah. just opened the whole world. Right. Mm-hmm. But you watch what was on. Like you said, how old were you when you decided to pursue professional wrestling? Well, I always kind of had it in the back of my head that I wanted to do it since I was a teenager, probably. And then I was watching the Stampede Wrestling that I mentioned from from Calgary, and there was an address if you want to go to the Hart Brothers Pro Wrestling Camp, write, you know, send a self-addressed stamped envelope. There's an old (laughs) school term. So I did, and then they sent it back. You had to be 18 to go. You know, all the different advice they gave you, which is just basically just trying to hook you. You know, you didn't know. You're just kind of a mark type of a thing to, to them. Yeah, so that's kind of when I decided I want to go. I was probably in grade 10 or 11. Uh, I graduated from high school when I was 17, so I wasn't old enough to go. So I, I went to, to college for journalism for a couple of years and got my journalism degree. And then oh, I was wow. off to off to wrestling school. Now, why did you get a journalism degree? Did Was that sort of like your backup plan or? Yeah, because once again, it's funny. I mentioned it, it, it's, I mentioned Jesse the Body Ventura earlier. My dad used to play pro hockey. So uh, he played oh. in the NHL for 10 years. So he was playing like in a celebrity hockey game in Winnipeg and one of the guys who was on the other team for charity was Jesse Ventura. He was the coach of the team. And I was walking downtown. I'll never forget it. Going to the record store. And I walked past fucking Jesse, the body Ventura. When you're like 17 years old, that doesn't happen. I was like, right. So I just turned around, started following him. And like, I got to hand it to him. Cause here's a 17 year old kid asking about everything about wrestling. And he was actually talking to me. He was really cool. And he actually walked with me for a couple blocks because I told him my dad was in the game and all that sort of thing. So after the game finished, there was an after party and Jesse was there and he was once again, hey, come over and talk. So I talked to him for about an hour about wrestling and about what should I do? And the question I get asked all the time, which is a lot easier now than it was then. How do I get into wrestling? Now you just go online, Google it. you know there was no googling to do back then so you really had to how do i get into this and he told me have a backup plan wrestling is hard so have a backup like like be a governor or something 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. A movie star, a governor, a conspiracy theorist, whatever it may be. And uh, um, so I did. I, I, I said, well, Jesse, the body told me I got to get a backup plan. And I was always good at writing. I was terrible at math and chemistry and that sort of thing. So I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll try the journalism. And it was a really cool class that also had advertising, PR, creative writing. It had a ra radio class, a television class. It was all this. It was called Creative Communications was the course that I took. So if you think about it, all those things that I mentioned mm -hmm. really paid off to this day. I was gonna, I was going to say, sounds sounds like a great course to take given what you did, what you became, and how you did it. Exactly. And the thing that was cool about it is that I was never good in high school. But when I went to, 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 to Creative Communications, I actually got on the on the honor roll you know i got the the, the grade point average i still have the plaque in my closet <laughs> over there of like i actually I, I really enjoyed it when you enjoy something i tell that to my kids now like you gotta you gotta think of school like like a video game okay if you hate math you still gotta do well enough to get past that level once you get past right. the level of math you never have to see it again right but you gotta get past it and for me, when I finally started doing something I really enjoyed, that's when I really like, oh, my gosh, I put a thousand percent into it because I really felt connected to it. Mm -hmm. that's uh, and that's another thing I've done my whole life for my whole career. So if I feel connected to something, I'll give a thousand percent. If I don't feel it here and here, I probably right. won't do it because I, I have to put all into it or nothing. I'm going to use that video game analogy with my own son after this call. <laughs> it's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> it really is, actually. I like it. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, you're you're known. Obviously, you're a great athlete, but you're you're really known for your ability to take on different personas and, and change things up when you need to and uh, and your mic skills. Like starting out, how did you build those things? Did they come naturally to you or did you have to kind of figure all that stuff out? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I think charisma, which is what it all bases is all based on you either have charisma or you don't and there's different types of charisma you know obviously there's a cool silent Clint Eastwood charisma there's over the top David Lee Roth how are you charisma like everything <laughs> in between right so for me once again I was always really into we used to make our own movies with a, a very you know uh, old school video camera that you could connect one to the other to edit it. You connect the cables from one video. Yep. Like that, that's something we, we could edit movies. I was always in a band, once again, writing songs. I was in the high school play, all that sort of stuff. So it was always kind of like being creative. And then I also had my own wrestling league with one other guy and we played like 15 different characters each. <laughs> oh my gosh, like in high school you did that? Like in high school, yeah. We used to Wow. We used to tell that because they used to have these, they're, they're called porta pits. I don't know what they're called here. They're big, thick, mats like if you're going to be like a high jumper you would land on one of these porta pit mats thing mm -hmm. so we used to tell the gym teacher that we wanted to practice gymnastics uh <laughs> so can we come you know at school at seven o'clock and he's like, yeah, yeah you know you guys, you guys go you guys are practicing your gymnastics and meanwhile we would just get the mats out the porta pits and just wrestle each other yeah. <laughs> we'd have cards written out like okay this guy versus this guy and this character versus this character and that's what we would do. You know, we, we used to call it, you know, Wednesday night main event because they had Saturday night main event. We were Wednesday night main event. We'd go every Wednesday, <laughs> just me and one dude. And we would like just wrestle each other and do promos and play characters. So once again, all that stuff, you, you could tell it was, it was within me. It, right. it was kind of who I am. So right. it wasn't that much of a stretch, you know. And when I first started wrestling, I was really influenced by rock and roll. So I, 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 back then you had to be really big to be a wrestler, like, you know, Hulk Hogan was six foot eight, 300 pounds. That's what he was listed at. You know, I'm five foot 11, 190 pounds at the time. You know, what am I going to do in the business? Uh, well, I'll never be the biggest guy, but I can have the biggest charisma and have the biggest personality. 
you know, and that's what I always right. focused on. So I took the personalities from rock and roll, Paul Stanley, David Lee Roth, Mick Jagger, Bruce Dickinson, these amazing front men who were very great in front of the audience and very flamboyant. And I took that into wrestling. And then once we started Fozzie, I took what I was doing wrestling back into the band, which came from rock and roll anyways. So they're very mm-hmm. much interactive. You know, anytime you're performing in front of a live audience, whether you're a comedian, a wrestler, a musician, you know, a stage actor, whatever it may be, there's a certain vibe and a certain energy to it that a lot of people don't know how to do and it's hard to do for a lot of people going in front of a live crowd the public speaking but because i was always kind of thinking about doing wrestling and music i always kind of was focused on on on, on doing those sort of creative performances Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. I was listening to an interview you or, or just a conversation between you and Stone Cold Steve Austin where you described wrestling as being like improv comedy and I'd never thought of it in that context but it made absolutely perfect sense when you put it that way because it is a it is a lot of the same skills it really is it's, it's you know give and take and a lot of people think that you know wrestling is all scripted well obviously we have a script as far as like what the story is but matches are, are, are never scripted there's nothing, never never written down i mean I might, I might write down some ideas so i don't forget them mm-hmm. or maybe just to formulate to put together does it look better here or does this better there but a lot of times it's not as much now guys really do kind of put together the whole match beforehand but there's still an improv element to it. And if mm-hmm. you're really, really good or really trained kind of in the way that wrestling was in the eighties and nineties, you can just go in the ring and, and call it on the ring. Like you, like you said, like, like improv, just watch what's going on, listen to what the crowd is buying and what they're not buying. I still do a lot of that. Even if you have a match that's kind of put together, there's still 30, 40% of improv that you have to just listen to the audience. And that's why during the, during the lockdown, it was so hard because we had to keep wrestling in front of nobody. We did like right. whatever it was, six or eight months with no people in in the arena. And it was just like so hard. It's like telling jokes as a stand-up comic in front of a brick wall. 
Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> exactly right. No laughs. No laughs. So you know, is this no funny? Laughs. I think exactly. it's funny, but usually, like, I think this is good. But the litmus test is what does the audience think? Right. Mm-hmm. And with no audience there, it just took all that away. So it was just like you know, you, you really had no indication of is this working? Is it not working? But right. but yeah. So there really is an improv element to it, which also also probably relates to music as well in terms of like being in a band, right, and in front of a crowd and playing off your bandmates and you know sort of figuring it out. Like being in a jam band, you just follow each other. Oh, let's try this for a while. Let's try that for a while. I mean, if this works, it sounds good. Let's do it. For like 20 minutes in a jam band. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, so you came up, and I don't know if this is still the way guys are coming up, but you really came up sort of like, it feels to me like the old-fashioned linear way. Like literally started in your high school gym, then independent outfits, right? You spent time in Mexico, you spent time in Japan, more independent outfits. So a little bit like, is that the way it's still done? What was that like? And what was your big break to make the jump into, I guess, the time the WCW? Well, once again there's different levels of big breaks right so um and you're right the way that i came into business was kind of the way that my generation of guys came in which is where you basically started internationally um i was a huge star in mexico uh, before anywhere else i got i was there I was 22 years old long blonde hair to wear a mask i didn't wear a mask no that's probably one of the reasons because you know a good looking kid and wrestling just had become very popular so it was really like beatlemania you'd walk out of the arena the hundreds of kids and chicks and people just wanted to like pull your hair and they used to wear this really red cheap lipstick so you get kissed on the it looks like a like a like a comedy movie where you get kissed in the face and the lipstick marks are there but you couldn't get it off it would be like you have like rouge on after a while it's like fuck, this doesn't come off so i was really popular in mexico a main event kind of teen heartthrob type of thing and then i went to japan uh, which was very important too because i, I trained in calgary which was kind of a wrestler's like if you if you train in Calgary, you're almost a wrestler's wrestler. Like you really right. learned the, the the technique. So I could go to Mexico and be you know the heartthrob guy, but I still could really work, is what we call it. I could, if you're a good wrestler, you can work. I could really work. So I've really fit in in Japan, where it was the opposite. I was the bad guy in Japan. Right. So like for three or four years, you know, I worked in Germany. So I really kind of seasoned myself internationally, and also too the word gets around. Who's this kid? Have you heard of Chris Jericho? You know, and then you create a buzz. You still do that now, but the difference now is guys don't go international as much. They still do, but but there's the wrestling companies sign you so fast now. It's like it's like everything else, like high school athletes in baseball or basketball or something, right? They're tracking you early. Exactly. You know, you know this, Doug, about content. You know, there's there's Wrestling is such a television business now where where, where the, the, the majority of the revenue is made from television deals. So both companies, AEW and WWE, and if you're in Impact or if you're in you know MLW, the smaller ones, they're still trying to get their guys too. So, and another thing is YouTube. You know, back then you could go and, and have a bunch of shitty matches and, and kind of try things out. Now everybody films everything. And if you have a great match, it's up the next day. If you have a shitty match, it's up the next day. So it's, it's probably a little bit more pressure. Like you got to be really good almost out of the gate uh, or at least show some, 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 some good qualities and tendencies because you could wrestle a match, you know, I don't know, Winkler Manitoba in front of 200 farmers. But if someone films it and put it up on YouTube, suddenly 5,000 people see it, you know? And so I, I think that it's different now, not necessarily better or worse, I, I, I like the way that I came in the business, though, because not only did I learn uh, different styles of wrestling in these different companies, I also learned a lot of life lessons. I uh, had a lot of adventures over the years as a young kid. I think of my son now who's 19. I mean, shit, when I was 
just eight months older than him. I went, took my first tour of Japan with no work visa and no contact of who I was going to, who was going to pick me up when I landed in Tokyo. Like, it was right. just like, yeah, yeah, someone will be there and it's no cell phone. Like you just show up. You're like, are you the guy? Hey, <laughs> like, just think about sending your, your basic teenage son across the world with no guarantees of anything. So it was a lot different then and probably a little bit easier and a little bit harder now. Just, you know, times change, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. To the point you were making about, you know, learning different things from all this, when you moved into wrestling that was being televised before mass audiences, right. how did that change your approach? I mean, you're still often in front of a live audience while you're being yeah. filmed, but do you like, I would imagine you had to think more about the camera. You do. And and, and, and I didn't finish answering Doug's question though, but how I got into WCW was the buzz that was created by working in all these other countries. And then to answer your question, Jen, starting on television, but you start like a local cable TV. Okay, Winnipeg's having a TV taping. That's you start getting on TV there. Mm -hmm. Then suddenly I go to, you know, uh, Tennessee, Smoky Mountain Rustin. They have television. Then I end up in ECW, which was out of Philly. They've got television. Now their television's kind of on the MSG network, which goes all across the country. So you're kind of learning about that. But when I got to WCW, which was on TBS, it's the big leagues, right? It's WWF at the time and WCW. And and WCW was actually beating WWF when I first got there. You learn a lot. The hard camera. You got to tell kids that all the time. Here's the hard camera. The hard camera means it's the it's kind of the camera that's in the stands that if, if you're if I'm in the ring looking at it, it's here all the time. It's never going anywhere. You never want to turn your back to the hard camera because the, the the millions of people at home can't see you. These 3,000 people can, but you're not appealing to these 3,000. You're appealing to these 1 million. Mm-hmm. And then another, there's a guy called Jackie Crockett. He was a cameraman for WCW. And he told me early on, he, I got along with him. He's a good guy. His brother kind of ran the, the, the wrestling companies for years. And he said, find me. And I'll make you look like a star. So he's the cameraman on the ground. So if I'm getting beat up, Doug's punching me in the face. And once again, I'm I'm this way. You can't see me. If I can see Jackie Crockett, I can look into the camera and sell it. And he can find me and frame it and film it. Mm -hmm. And I always, to this day, always look for the camera. Where's the camera? Okay, there it is right there. Not looking at it, but you're, you're, you're selling in a way that the camera can pick it up. If my head is down, we can't see you. If my head is up. This is this is the money. That's the, always mm-hmm. the saying, right? That's the money right there, and it's it's a true story, and, that, and that's everything about wrestling is storytelling, character development, uh, and all that comes from your face. Mm-hmm. That's right. Which you don't know at first. If if, if, you, if you're just doing non televised wrestling, you don't know that. Once you right. finally do, then that's it's it's you 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 understand the art form of TV, and, and there's another art form for live TV as well. Hitting your cues, making sure they don't go too long or too short. So right. there's a lot of those elements that go into it that I don't think people really understand. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of how much goes into being a pro wrestler from those sorts of ideas and thoughts. Yeah, sure. So when you're a new guy at the WCW and now you're on national television, how much input at that point early on did you get into, were you allowed to develop your own character and be the, be the kind of personality that you wanted to be at the time? Well, I mean, you, you, you kind of have to just do it. So when I first came to WCW, it was kind of miscast because it was 1996. Once again, long blonde hair people at that point in time, you know, I was kind of the proverbial baby face. But at that point in time, Stone Cold Steve Austin is becoming a guy. The, the world is like, 
not as black and white as it used to be. There's a real gray area. So when you see a guy coming in, slapping hands and, and good looking guy, whereas three years prior, the, the girls would be screaming and the guys would think you're cool. At this point in time, it's like, ah, this guy's, you know, ah, he, he, he's too squeaky clean, you know what I mean, or whatever. So you're kind of a little bit miscast. People aren't really paying attention to what you're doing. They weren't paying attention to our matches. So I was like, I got to turn heel. That's what we call it. You got to be a bad guy. And then once I turned heel, that's when I was really able to show my personality. Because when you're a heel, you don't have to color inside the lines. You can do whatever you want. Because it doesn't matter if people think it's stupid or they hate it. Well, that's the idea. Mm-hmm. And I always say for wrestling, it's a lot easier to make people hate you than it is to make them like you. But once they start really hating you, that's when they start to really like you. Right. And if you look at the greatest villains of all time, not in wrestling, but in pop culture, Darth Vader, Freddy Krueger, Hannibal Lecter, the Joker, uh, all of these guys, the Terminator, they start out as super evil. But by the second or third movie, they're always the good guys. Think about it. They're always that like if Heath Ledger hadn't passed away, his next Joker movie, he would have had to been almost the good guy because he was too entertaining and too right. fun. <laughs> and that's what a great heel is. You hate him, but then you start. Then you kind of start rooting for him. You start liking him because he's so yeah. entertaining. It's like Freddy Krueger by by movie three. You don't care about the dipshit teenagers that he's killing. You want him to kill him. You like you, <laughs> you want to hear his quips and his his one liners. That you know what I mean. Like he's way more interesting than the victims. And that's kind of the same with wrestling. The, the heel to get great heat is hard to do but when you do it people just fucking hate you i used to get attacked on the street 2008 and 9 was probably my peak as a heel because i was dropped in as an actor as well and then after a while there's only so far you can take it and then people suddenly start really wanting to like you more and then you got to go with the flow and switch when you say attacked on the street do you mean verbally or physically or both physically physically really yeah there's uh there's two that you can see for sure there's one i got attacked in victoria bc that actually made it onto the Nancy Grace show. She wanted me like oh my God. <laughs> hung, drawn, and quartered because I, I I was fighting a fan who basically you didn't see the full clip of, of course, somebody clips of me throwing a, a push at a, a, at somebody who, you know, then there's the, the, the prior to that, there was a, a guy and a girl punching me and fighting me because I was the bad guy. Like, literally, we, you disgrace Canada. And they're punching me in the face and the girls jumped on my back and she's trying to punch me in the balls. And it's just like, where is the security? Like I was flipping <laughs> out angry. I, I don't know if you could still get that type of violent reaction now. But even in 2008, 9, and 10, it was pretty rare, but I was able to get it. People would rush the ring a couple times. they try and get in the ring, to, to, which is never a good idea. Don't try that. <laughs> it's like running on the, running onto a football field, right? Yeah, exactly. As soon as you run in the ring, you're fair game. Yeah, you know? exactly. And I think that's legally allowed. So, so anyways, yeah, so, but you would see that type of reaction. And when I was really into this teal mode, I would go out of my way to be an asshole. You know, like... I remember we were in Madison Square Garden and there's uh, to get into Madison Square Garden. It's the world world's most prestigious arena, but it's a bitch to get in and out of like it sucks <laughs> because they won't let you can't park inside. you got to park right. across the street right. in a park, a uh, parkade, this game, a, par- a parking garage and then walk across the street. And of course, all the fans know it. So there's literally thousands of fans in the parking garage on the street out front of the door. It's really hard to get in and out of. And I remember I got in an elevator. There was a dad and a son that were happening to be on the elevator at the same time. And the guy was like, hey, will you sign my kid's autograph? I remember just looking straight ahead at the numbers, Mm -hmm. like, you know, six, 
five, wherever, if you're going up and he's like, Hey, will you sign this? And I wouldn't even answer. I just wouldn't even look at the guy. And he's really getting mad. Oh, you won't even talk to me. You know, you're a real asshole. Now, the reason why I do that is because he's obviously going to the show, right? I am the, the, the bad guy in the main event, the, the, the evil villain. If I sign this guy's autograph and show a flash of being a good guy, he's going to be up in the stands with the kid yeah, booing chair and be like, yeah, we really know he's and I maybe he's got some friends coming. Maybe there's five or six or eight people now that know that Chris Jericho signed the autograph and was a great guy. That hurts my my character. And that's how dropped in I was. Like at all yeah. times. What you really want him to do is boo a little louder. That's what I want. I <laughs> yeah. said there was never any Chris Jericho merchandise at that time. Oh, really? Why would I want people wearing my merchandise? I'm supposed right. to be the evil hated villain. Would you wear, you know, if, if Satan came came to try and kill the world, would you wear a Satan shirt? Like, you know, <laughs> I, like like I, I really believe that like I would make my money by being the foil for the good guys. Right. I, I don't need the, you know, the merch check of 50 grand, that's a lot of money, but maybe I'll make a hundred grand headlining another pay-per-view right. as the evil villain. That's the way I looked at it. So I really dropped into it deep. Speaking of dropping in, Chris, you dropped into WCW at the height of what is now known as the Monday Night Wrestling Wars. Right. Which for a little context for our listeners who may not be familiar. So in the late night, mid late nineties, WCW on Turner, right? On yeah. uh, TNT, Ted Turner's network. Uh, was going up against Vince McMahon and, and the WWE on the USA Network. And week in and week out, one of those shows was, uh, they're going head-to-head on Monday nights in prime time. And week in and week out, one of those shows was always the number one show in cable. The other show would be number two in cable. Right. And oftentimes they would be tied. What do you remember about those days and, and that intense rivalry between the two outfits? Well, I mean, it was it was such a cool time for the business because like you mentioned because they were head to head and there was such variety and such there was like that that the, the Monday Night Wars were real like not just for the fans but for the guys themselves like we were really kind of like you know we got to kill them we got to beat them we got to you wanted you wanted to beat the other yeah they were your they were your competition you wanted to beat the competition right it, exactly and the thing is i think because of, of of the NWO which was a WCW creation and Goldberg and then the WWF had Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. So he had some real big attractions. So I remember there was one night, I think there was like maybe 12 million people watching wrestling. And to put in context now, one and a half or two million a night. Back then, I think there was 14 million people yes. between the two shows wow. watching, maybe flipping back and forth. Like it was a really big kind of a cultural phenomenon in the late 90s to where I remember like even like we would do shows like a spring break. I remember Club La Vila in Panama City. We put the ring in the middle of the pool. It was spring break. There's like thousands of college kids just going nuts, but they're all super into wrestling. You know, it was the thing. And, and as you guys know, when a show gets hot, you know, it, it might cycle down and up, but when it's hot, it's hot. And it was so fucking hot. Probably 97, 98 wrestling was probably. Oh, it was, oh, it was red hot. I mean, I was, yeah. you know, I was at other cable networks programming against you guys, both networks. Right. And, you know, those, you know, so those two shows. And then if it was during football season and Monday night football, it was just like, get out of the way. Like Monday yeah. nights, just forget about it. Concentrate on Tuesday. That's you right. Can't, you can't do anything on Monday. Everybody was watching wrestling. Yeah. And, you know, you still get that. I think if you were kind of popular in the 90s, I mean, you could probably go do the Comic Con circuit for the rest of your life because there's going to be people, man, when I was in college, I used to watch you. Like, I'm talking like kind of even lower level guys, you know, main event guys always, but guys that were just on TV at that time, people will remember. Yeah, that that was peak wrestling. It, it, It felt like. It was, it was. And I don't know 
if that will ever happen again because there's it's so fragmented now once again late 90s there was cable but it wasn't like it is now right. you know literally 500 channels of of people having different choices to watch and that's just channels now you got the streaming you got all the apps and it's like can't even keep track of it anymore of like what show is you know my wife and i watch a show and it's like well what what channel is it on again? Is it on, is it on Hulu? No, is it Peacock? No, it was Amazon. Right. You can't even remember which one is which. So I don't think you'll ever have, you know, 12 million people watching wrestling again. I don't know if you have 12 million people watching anything ever again, except for maybe NFL. The Super Bowl. Super Bowl, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I my main job is I'm a TV critic at New York Magazine, and I have a colleague who is a huge wrestling fan and a big fan of yours. And the flip side of, of what you're saying is something she was talking to me about, which is she said she feels like she there's more opportunities to watch a whole bunch of different kinds of wrestling now than there ever has been in her lifetime with AEW and and with like even she said indie shows that she watches yeah. on streaming and stuff do you think that's good for wrestling or 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 not because again like you said it's more fragmented but well if, if you go back to earlier in our conversation I mentioned when I was a kid I could wa- I was watching wrestling from Louisiana and Winnipeg Mm-hmm. So I it, yes, it's good for wrestling. It's very good for us, and especially now because once again the lockdown hurt so much. Wrestling was very very popular, not just here. England wrestling was booming in England, and then the lockdown happened, and just killed all the momentum, and it's slowly getting built back up again. So yes, it is a good thing because once again the more places there are for the guys and girls to work, the better it is. But it's hard to get a market share. You know, if you're yeah. talking like you know AEW, we've done really well out of the gate. But other companies like the, we mentioned MLW, they just got a deal on Reels Network. Good for them. I think they maybe do 75000 a show, which is probably great. But in the big picture, what does that really mean? You know, how high can you go? But I think if you're a wrestling fan, you definitely have a lot of options. The only problem is most people, when you get to be adults, you've got, I don't know, two hours a night to spend watching a show. And like we mentioned, there's so much to watch. So if you're going to pick AAW Dynamite Wednesday at 8 o'clock, that's your show for the night. So mm-hmm. it makes it a lot harder to 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 put a show on the air, to get on the air at all. But then for people to actually watch it, that's why the demos are so important. That's something I never really realized until AAW started, how important the demo is. I, I w- I'm glad you said the word demo because Demo <laughs> God has become one of your <laughs> nicknames. Yeah. And I think you've said you like you look at the – like minute to minute yeah. ratings um, on yes. AEW to see what's hitting. Her. I mean, is that something you still regularly do? And can you think of an example of when something in the ratings like made you make a, a, a major change or a major decision about what you were going to be doing? Well, so I, so that's that's up to Tony Khan, my boss. He, he'll make those decisions okay. based on ratings. But yes, very analytical, especially when we started AEW because I'm kind of like a, you know one of the generals, shall we say, of, of the army. So I pay attention to everything. Uh, it's not just about my career now. It's like everybody on our show is part of our team. So I do check the minute by minutes every week and I study them to see. I've even just before I came on with you, I was just looking at the minute by minutes. And it's not just a number, it's a it's a it's a it's a line, it's a bell curve that you can see what has gone up, what has gone down. Okay, when so-and-so showed up, it went up a little bit. Obviously, commercial goes down, but when you came back from commercial, oh, that guy can, you know, so you, I do really pay attention to that because I know that my boss does for sure. I mean, he's uh, he's the head of analytics for the Jacksonville Jaguars, which he also owns. So he's he's very into numbers. Mm-hmm. So by proxy, 
as a good employee, I need to really be in the numbers, which is great because I'm a numbers guy anyways. I was terrible at math when it comes to ratings <laughs> and ticket sales. And like I, my, my, my fifth cruise just went on sale today, general public. So the last four days, it's all been about the pre-sale. What have we done? What level's filling up? Who's buying? What's the demo? What's the age group? So you have to pay attention to that if you really understand the business of pro wrestling. At some point during the uh, during the Monday Night Wars, WWE began to dominate. The Attitude Era came in, which was a racier, edgier kind of product than uh, they had been doing. And you moved over there. Tell us about jumping from one to the other and, and how, uh, how that all came about. Well, once again, growing up in Winnipeg, I never saw NWA or WCW. It was always WWF for me. That's all I cared about. So my goal, end game, was always to go to WWE. But when WCW offered me a contract... WWE didn't really have any interest whatsoever. So I said, well, maybe I'll go to WCW for three years and maybe then I'll get a chance to go to WWF. And that's basically what happened. So it was, you know, WCW kind of half-assed, tried to keep me, but not really. They were more about kind of the the older stars. They weren't really doing much with younger guys. And as a result, they went out of business about two years later. Right. Which is why with AEW, we we're so adamant about building our own stars because you have to. But so it wasn't it wasn't a hard decision. WWE kind of courted me. They were much more appealing. Well, they, they brought they brought you in in a pretty big way, right? They did. You 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 beat The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Steve Austin, right? On on the same night as that's that's like a wrestling mic drop, right? Yeah, it is. And that was about a year and a half after I got there. But even my first night in, I, I went to a, a, a post office. And I saw a, a countdown to the millennium clock because this was 1999. And it was like, you know, three months, 12 days, four hours, 13 seconds, 12 seconds. And I was like, wow, that'd be a really cool way for someone to come into to a company. Into the, and I was like, fuck, that'd be a cool way for me to come into the WWF. It's perfect. So we were able to pitch it to Vince McMahon and he liked it. And his addition to it was that the countdown clock would end right in the middle of the Rocks promo. <laughs> so right out of the gate, my very first night in, I go toe to toe with The Rock, who was one of the hottest guys in the company at that point in time, and one of the best microphone artists ever. And my first night in, I got to go toe to toe with him. So it was a really great way to kind of bring somebody in at the highest of levels and still one of the greatest debuts I'd say in wrestling history has to be that. And that's not from an egotistical standpoint. I just like, I don't know. Once again, how, how could you match? No, that's just, that's just, that's just a fact. (laughs) I mean, you know, look what, look what you went on to do. And you know, the rock was already the rock at that point. And that's also where Y2J came from. Cause if you remember for the millennium Y2K, everyone was terrified about Y2K. And obviously J rhymes with K and J stands for Jericho. And that was going to be the name of my finishing move was the Y2J. And Vince was like, no, 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 that's not the name of your finishing move. That's your name. And it was like, once again, very smart. Vince was was a very uh, smart guy when it came to the little details that like, fuck, how could I not have seen that? So it was a great idea. And to this day, people still want to chant Y2J. And it's like, that was 20 years ago. But, you know, it's like being in a rock and roll band. If 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 I'm in the Stones and you still want to hear Can't I Can't Get No Satisfaction, even though I've had 80 great songs since then, well, who am I to complain? Right. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Vince McMahon, uh, who, as you said, a very brilliant promoter and businessman. Also, you know, a problematic, kind of complicated guy. What was your relationship like working with him? Well, he's very intimidating at first, obviously, especially when you come into the business watching the WWF and watching Vince McMahon. And but once once Vince starts gaining trust in you, I really enjoyed working with him because we he, we pushed each other. You know, he's very smart, but he's got so many yes men surrounding him 
that he likes it when someone's not a yes man. And I never, I never was, but he's still my boss. So you got to take that into consideration as well. It really helps me uh, to, to work with Tony Khan after working with Vince for so long is that your boss is your boss. You know, you don't have to like what he wants you to do, but you got to do it. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, Vince used to say, I just booked the shit. You, you make it good. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. That's my responsibility to make it great. So that is a real, a real uh, challenge. So I really enjoyed working with Vince and I enjoy working with Tony for the same reasons. Cause sometimes you're like, fuck, my idea is a million times better. It doesn't matter what your idea is. You're not the boss. Right. <laughs> so, okay, let's make it great. But that being said, you've had this incredible career, really, you know, at the top of uh, of of the game for a long time. And one of the uh, sort of aspects that's most interesting about it is your ability to sort of evolve, change character, morph into, you know, different roles along the way, almost like a rock star, like a David Bowie or a Madonna yeah. might do over time. Was that something that was that you were conscious of as it was happening or tell us about that? Absolutely. And Bowie's the great example. I always really appreciated how Bowie was able to evolve and change. He was still Bowie, but whether it was Ziggy Stardust or Aladdin Sane or the Thin White Duke or, you know, the Tin Machine, or even his last character was the Blind Prophet right before he died. Like he always had something cool going on where it's like you could go to a party and have 10 people dressed up as Bowie and they could all be completely different, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the same with Chris Jericho. Every Halloween, I post pictures of, of people who dress up as Jericho, and there's five or six or seven or eight different different models. Yeah, yeah. costumes. That was always my goal. Like, right. Which era of Jericho do you like the best? And I never wanted to be a nostalgia act either. That's why I was laughing about the Y2J thing. Like, kind of bugs me when people chant Y2J because it's like, yeah, fuck. But there's so many other things I've done since then. It doesn't bug me in a bad way, but it's kind of like, no, no, no. We're the we're the demo guy. It's like five Bowies ago. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, you know, we're, we're, the, we're the Ocho now. So yeah, I, I really believe, and I think it's one of the reasons why I've still been able to, to stay on top for so long because it's it's always different. It's never it's it's never the same thing. I'll always tweak it and change it and try different things, and I think people expect that from me. And that, once again, if I didn't do that, I don't think I'd still be wrestling uh, at fifty two. And if I was, it wouldn't be at the at the at this highest of level that, that I've been doing. So it's very important to stay fresh and stay current. Respect your past, but always think of the future. Speaking of music, you have a long-running, recording, touring, Spotify, airplay, getting heavy metal band called Fozzy that you have been involved with for, for many years now, right? Right. Yeah, we just, uh, our song Judas just went gold. I've got, I'm looking at the gold record on my wall right now, which is cool. Congratulations. Yeah. So we, we, we started once again, you know, I, I, I wanted to be in a rock and roll band when I was a kid and we started Fozzie about 20 years ago and the band has continued to grow. Like I said, last year was probably our biggest year ever. Uh, we had our biggest tour in the UK ever. We're about ready to do our biggest tour of the States ever. So, you know, and once again, it's hard to do that when you have so many options for people to, uh, you know, listen to music and, and, you know, nobody buys music anymore, but that's just the way it goes. So you basically got a tour to, 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 to make money as a rock and roll band. We've got our own touring model that no one else really does but us. So we, we've really done a, a great job, in my opinion, of building the band and, and getting the, the music to, to the people that want to hear it. You mentioned Judas, which was your walkout music, and there was a... A match, I guess it was 2021 maybe, where MJF said, you're not allowed to play it coming out. And you came out without playing it, but then the whole audience started singing it. Yeah. 
Did you know they were going to do that? Was that completely unexpected to you? They started singing Judas uh, on, on my second cruise. Oh, okay. The Jericho cruise. And so th that became a, th a thing. It's an organic, you, in wrestling, you always want organic reactions from the audience. And they just started singing Judas. So we had a hunch that they would start singing. And some people were like, you got to put like the lyrics on, on the screen and put a bouncing ball so people know. And I was, and, and it's actually Tony and I were like, when you go to a concert, people know when to sing. You know, they're going to sing their favorite song. You don't have to give them the lyrics. And someone suggested put lyric sheets under the, the chair. I'm like, no, if it doesn't work and they don't sing, then the heel got his evil mission accomplished. But I think they will. And dude, it was one of the, it was in Houston, Texas. It was one of the coolest moments. It took them about two bars to get in sync. And then they just went for it. And it was just like, man, I remember just smiling. It worked. It worked mm -hmm. exactly what we were hoping for. Uh, so yeah, we were hoping that would happen. And it didn't surprise me. I was what I was surprised at is how quickly people got in sync. Right. Mm. They really, they really, they really got into it quickly. And it was really, it was a, a great moment uh, in time for AEW and, and for, for, for Fozzie for sure. So mm -hmm. two quick questions before you go. First one is AEW. Tell us about you know how you feeling about it and uh what prompted you to to join and, and go up against Vince and WWE. And how's that going? My last year in WWE, we had one of the best stories and they didn't really put our match where I thought it should be. And I thought, I think maybe this is just where I'm going to be slotted from now on, mm -hmm. kind of second or third on the show rather than, you know, ninth or 10th. And I started working in Japan, which was huge. We drew some big money there, Jericho and Kenny Omega. And then Tony Khan decided because of the business we did in New Japan that people do want uh, an alternative he had a connection with with TNT and TBS, who also felt the same way, and all the ducks lined up. And for me, I could have stayed in WWE forever, but at this level, and I just felt I could do more. And I felt we can change the course of wrestling history. It's a risk. If it doesn't work, maybe I'll go with my tail between my legs back to to, to the Vince. But if it does work, it's another feather in kind of the legacy of Chris Jericho that we started this new fucking company and right. that's what we did in three months in we got a huge deal with tnt and turner because of the demo and now it's a very important year for us this year because it's our contract year we're trying to get you know another great contract based on the demo that's always the, the word so yeah i just really felt it would, it would it would it would really extend and strengthen my legacy and it was exciting and it really right. reinvigorated my passion for wrestling my creativity tnt promotes the hell out of it i'll tell you that they do well because we're one of their one of their their star yeah, pupils you know um, <laughs> so yeah I, I, it's really paid off i really enjoyed it it's 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 creatively stimulating it's not easy but nothing worth it ever is easy exactly. so um, i'm very very happy to be an aw and there's really no reason for me to go anywhere else all right, Jen, hit him with the uh, our final question. First of all, you've been an amazing guest. Amazing. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you, guys. It's been fun. Thank you. We could talk to you all day, Chris. You'd... We'll do a part two. Great, great pop culture <laughs> fan you. you are. Yeah, we'll do a part two. So our, our traditional last question for all of our guests is, what is your favorite basic cable show of all time, not counting something that you're involved in? And you can pull from can Canada, like, you know, we're, we'll allow. Basic is not HBO and Showtime and not the broadcast networks. Right, right, right. I would say probably favorite cable show of all time i'm just gonna go back to so there was wwf superstars which was their one like their syndicated cable show that was on saturday mornings and this was pre-raw pre-nitro pre-dynamite so the only place you could really see the guys was on superstars and i would get up every morning i had a paper route i would go deliver <laughs> papers so i could be done by 10 o'clock so i could watch superstars and that's how you would be caught up on the storylines 
for who would be coming to your town. That's how I used to TV used to generate the money of the house shows. So it's like, oh, the killer bees and then the Rougeos are fighting. Oh, and they're coming to Winnipeg and I'm, I'm going to buy a ticket. And then once in a while, Hulk Hogan would be on Superstars. Like once, once every six months or so. And you would see him on there and it would just be the fucking best ever. Like, Hulk's on. You see Hulk on Superstars? Diet <laughs> ro rotary phone. So yeah, th those are cool <laughs> memories. Like back when you, if you wanted to watch something, you really had to commit to it. You could set the VCR, but it's not the same. You never, get never worked anyway, setting those VCRs. Yeah, I would always set it wrong. And the, you know, there was a power outage and it's blinking and you miss it. I never trusted it. You're right. So I had uh, you, uh, you're Canadian and you said you didn't get a lot of uh, MTV, but I had you down for Headbangers Ball. But uh, we never had Headbangers Ball. Never, never got yeah, it. Yeah, we had the Power yeah. Hour, which was much music. So the Power Hour was always cool. That, it was kind of, you get the rejects from Headbangers Ball that would show up on the Power Hour. There you go. <laughs> Well, Chris Jericho, this has been a lot of fun. Jen and I really appreciate you uh, being here today. And we look forward to, to your continued success at AEW. And we'll see you soon. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. Thank you so much, All Chris. Right. Have a great day. All right. The Chris Jericho. That, that was fun, right, Jen? It was really fun. Yeah. He's a great guest. Yeah. Completely entertaining, such a pop culture fan. I mean, the Bowie references, the Busby Berkeley references. I don't know. It was, it was great. Anyway, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Jen, and mm -hmm. uh, you feel free to shit all over this. Okay. But uh, you know, we were talking about the Monday Night Wars, and you know, the you know one of the reasons, or maybe the reason, that the WWE, you know, finally o overtook WCW and 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 put it to bed was the Attitude Era, which was a edgier darker, racier version of wrestling than anybody had seen before. But what they really created were these characters that, to a large degree, you know, and he was talking about being the villain and getting people to root for you. Mm -hmm. They were anti-heroes. Mm -hmm. And could, could we make the claim that wrestling helped usher in the era of the anti-hero, which became sort of the template for all the all the great dramas that we've been talking about on this show, Breaking Bad and Mad Men and, you know, uh, The Shield and whatever it is. I, I think that's a bold statement. <laughs> I'm not sure. That's, that's polite. That's thank you. <laughs> it's interesting to think about, though, in terms of timing, because the timing of all that was late 90s, right? And Which is just before the, you know, early 2000s when these dramas started. Well, Sopranos started in 99. Oh, there you go. Okay. Or thereabouts. So there certainly was something in the air culturally that was making antiheroes kind of pop coincidentally at the same time. But because they were happening so close together, I don't think one could have influenced the other. I think it was one of those weird, like, pop cultural coincidences that then started a wave of something. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's just, I think it's just interesting to think about. There may be no there, there, and no connection, but, you know, it's just, it, 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 it does kind of line up interestingly. Well, and I will say something just from talking to Chris and then also just doing research before before we recorded, like, I feel a little bit differently about wrestling now because just even like the improv comedy thing that I was talking about with Chris and from talking, I'm going to shout out my coworker, Ann Clark, who was so helpful to me in preparing for this. Huge wrestling fan. Yeah, I, I talked to a couple of people before I did this as well. Yeah, because I'm, as I've said before, I'm not super into wrestling unless Cindy Lauper was involved. Um, right. But there is this sort of like, I mean, I always knew it was theatrical, but it is pulling from all these different kind of influences and what they're doing to create this show for people. And I really hadn't thought about it 
deeply enough to, to see all the things. But like you said, he's talking about David Bowie. He's talking about even some of the skills about knowing where the camera is and knowing how to cheat to the camera and, and you know. I mean, he's, he was talking like you'd hear an actor talk, honestly. Exactly. Yes, yeah. exactly right. And he clearly is an actor. I mean, that's what they're doing, a lot of acting, obviously. So when you think about it in that context of it, the way it's kind of pulling from all these different like aspects of culture, it, it makes it a much more rich and interesting thing to think about as opposed to just, oh, these guys are just, they're just faking it and they're pushing each other in the ring and people are shouting. It's its more complicated than that. Yeah, yeah. And he's hes clearly a talented guy, very sophisticated guy. And, you know, like you said, he's pulling from comedy. He's pulling from acting. He's pulling from music. He's leaning on his on his, on his his old math skills to, you know, help figure out the audience <laughs> by way of data and al- analytics in, in uh, 2023. It's pretty, it was a pretty fascinating conversation, I thought. Well, and the thing that struck me most just out of all of it is just this someone is someone who's committed. Like when yes. he decides he's doing something, he's a hundred percent in. And he said that about himself, but you can just tell from the way he talks about his approach to all aspects of his job. Yeah, he said he wanted to be either a wrestler or a rock star. And he and did he, both. And he, and he did both. Yeah, which is pretty pretty amazing. Good for him. Good for him. Yeah. And good for us. It was uh, it was a great conversation. We loved having Chris Jericho. We hope you enjoyed it too. And uh, Jen and I hope you will join us next time on Basic. Basic is a Pantheon Media production in partnership with Sirius XM. Hosted by Jen Cheney and Doug Herzog. Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer. Sound design and music by Jerry Danielson. Mixed and mastered by Brian Slusher. Recorded and edited by Zach Spisner. You can find Basic on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.